Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet, 590, The Fan. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy. At the current moment, four and a half games separate third in the Western Conference and 11th in the Western Conference, which is a a first-round home playoff date, like in one spot above the last spot that has a home playoff date in the first round and not being in the play-in tournament altogether. Uh, So there's a lot of teams that think they're in it that are legitimately in it before Thursday's NBA trade deadline. Let's talk to Tim Bontemps, ESPN NBA writer. How's it going, Tim? Doing well, guys. How are you? Doing very well. I mean, that being said, how many teams are in it in the Western Conference and how many teams think they have championship aspirations in the Eastern Conference as well? If the Raptors are, in fact, sellers before Thursday's trade deadline, does that put them in a very unique position, maybe in, like, NBA history, considering how many teams are buyers? Uh, I mean, I don't know if it's unique in NBA history, but I, I do certainly think uh, it is an interesting situation for Toronto to be in in the sense that, you know, if the Raptors, as you said, do decide to um, to be sellers in this marketplace, there is going to be a lot of uh, interest in their guys, right? There's just not, um, there, as you point out, there's not a lot of teams that are looking to sell right now. And if you're one of the few that is in the market to do so, that puts you in a position to, um, you know, really have a chance to control the marketplace in a way that you don't often do. So we'll see what the Raptors decide to do here in the next couple of days, but it certainly is going to be interesting to see how this all shakes out. And obviously, Tim, the, the Raptors have guys across a couple different tiers. You know, we've started to hear Pascal Siakam's name out there the last couple of days in a way that, you know, I don't think there's a, a ton to, but he's obviously at the tippy top of the list of guys who could be available uh, at the deadline if he if the Raptors would listen. Then you have, you know, Fred Van Vliet coming off an all-star season, OG and OB Gary Trent. Um, do you get the sense that there are different teams shopping in kind of like for each one of those guys or, or is it a case where the Raptors are maybe in negotiations like, Hey, here's the price on Fred. Here's the price on OG. Here's the price on Gary. Here's the price on a package. Like, I guess what I'm trying to get at is how intertwined are discussions for Ananobi Van Vliet and Trent. If you're, um, if you're the Raptors and if you're a team looking to uh, acquire one of those guys, I think it's pretty impossible to really know the answer to that question, Blake. Right. I mean, I I think it, it all just depends on, how stuff shakes out. You know, I think if, if the Raptors decide they could get the best deal for a package of guys, they'll do that if they decide to do something at all. And if they think they can do better splitting them up, they'll split them up. But I, I think that, you know, I, I think that simply is a matter of how these negotiations shake out and, um, you know, what things are going to look like over the next few days. But I, I, I would say it's rare that a team uh, sits there and says, we have to, you know, we have to package guys or we have to, um, you know, split guys up, right? I think it really just comes down to how does the marketplace evolve and, and what are the what are teams interested in doing and, and what what is the best way to try to divvy up your assets. So I, I don't I don't know if there is a, a set formula other than the fact that I'm sure as Toronto evaluates or you know as the Raptors value what they're gonna do, the goal is going to be to maximize the biggest return they can and whatever, you know, if they decide to make moves I should say and whatever way it turns out We'll get them there. That's what they'll do. And sorry, Tim, I, I phrased the question I was going for there poorly. That's uh, okay. 
Yeah, I mean, I could just frame it a different way and just be like, Tim, what's going to happen on Thursday? Um, and that's uh, <laughs> about as possible to answer. Okay, so let, let's let's take a different um, crack at this. And it's, um, you know, the OG, let, let's start with OG Ananobi because until Pascal Siakam's name came up, he had become the buzziest name. Um, now, we had heard not too long ago from your counterpart, Zach Lowe, from a couple other people that the return on an OG Ananobi deal might be, you know, more than you'd have expected uh, ahead of time. When you look at the bunch up in the the Western Conference standings, are there fits that you see for OG Ananobi where you're like, geez, that that would really help that team in in a Western Conference where there's not a lot of separation between these teams? Like, what is your, what's your ideal OG fit or, or OG trade scenario? Well, I think the thing that that makes it interesting as far as an OG trade is that, you know, you really can put him on any team. I mean, he's one of the affordable players in the league, right? His ability to, um, you know, be a three, you know, one of the premier, you know, quote unquote, three and D players in the league. You can, you could turn him into a lot of different stuff. And, you know, that's why so many teams in different, Files in the league have been linked to him, right? So I, I, I think obviously there would be a lot of interest in him if he truly comes available, and I, I think the Raptors would certainly be able to extract a high price. I, I think you know, not to be redundant, I just it, it's just really hard to know exactly what the Raptors are going to decide to do over the next forty-five hours or so. And you know, as my colleague Adrian Wojnarowski has said a couple times over the past few days, I mean, I, I think. You know, really, in a lot of ways, the trade deadline is going to start with what the Raptors do. It's really no different, Blake, than where things were when I saw you five, six weeks ago, right? I mean, it's really sort of been in the same place ever since then. There's just not a lot. You know, there's you know, obviously the Kyrie trade just happened, but there's not like last year. There was sort of the James Harden thing hanging out there for a couple of weeks. Every year, there's sort of like a guy that's you know, it seems like there's a likelihood is going to be moved. I mean, this year. With Kyrie off the board, it, that does not really feel like it's the case. So instead, you've got a situation where Toronto is sitting here with you know some of the most premium guys on the market, and it's a matter of waiting to see exactly what it is the Raptors decide to do. Yeah, I, I I'd be surprised if they don't do anything. But I guess that's in the realm of possibility, Tim. Like I and OG and and Pascal are a different tier of of guy that we're talking about here, and their names being thrown into these trade rumors. But you do have Fred Van Vliet and Gary Trent Jr. who have player options for next season, so it could be pending free agents uh, at the conclusion of this season. Would you be surprised if if the Raptors just sit back on the sidelines and do, I mean, maybe not nothing, but like maybe nothing? Would would, would you be shocked if that was the case? No, I, I, I don't think I'd be shocked by any outcome, right? I mean, we saw it with the situation with Kyle Lowry a couple of years ago. Everybody was, you know, dead set on him getting traded, right? And he wasn't traded, so... You know, I think we've seen in the past that, you know, uh, the Raptors are not are, are willing to wait until the summer and get a deal done like they did with Kyle back then. And, I, you know, I, I don't really know if that's what they're going to do or not. But I that's what makes the situation with them so intriguing, right? Like you guys have said, they have several good players that if they decide to sell, all are, are guys who could fit on a bunch of teams and are going to obviously generate a bunch of interest and nobody's really sure what they're going to do. And it's why everybody's kind of sitting around waiting to see what it is they do decide to do. And I think, you know, what direction, to your point, if if the Raptors don't do anything, you know, I suspect we'll probably have a fairly quiet 
next couple of days. If they decide to, to really go all in and sell, we could have a pretty wild next couple of days. And, and I think a lot of what happens over the next two days in the league is going to be dictated by what it is the Raptors decide to do. It's a nice situation to be in. You were the most powerful team in the league when you were the 2019 champions, and now you get to hang the banner of most important <laughs> trade deadline team 2023. Uh, um, Tim, right. I, I personally have mostly focused uh, a lot of my Raptors hypotheticals on Western Conference teams. I think there are some wing-needy Western Conference teams, a few obvious fits for Fred Van Vliet, uh, but you're pretty tied into the Eastern Conference and, and especially to the Atlantic Division. Things have been a little quiet around... Boston, Milwaukee, Philly, less so the Nets, or sorry, less so the Knicks, definitely less so the Nets, um, a little less <laughs> right. so the Knicks, but the top three teams, even the top four teams in the Eastern Conference, um, it's been a little quiet. Now, we've heard some Karis LeVert rumblings, we've heard Furkin Korkmaz request a trade, um, and, and other little things, but are, are you surprised at all that the top four in the East, Boston, Milwaukee, Philly, Cleveland, um, maybe haven't been rumored to be quite as aggressive, or, or does that line up with, you know, how you view the Eastern Conference right now? I think it largely lines up, Blake. I mean, look, the, the Cavs traded all their stuff for Donovan Mitchell, right? So I'm sure they would love to upgrade their wing spot, but they don't really have a lot to trade. So I'm not surprised that they're likely not going to be able to do much. You didn't expect them to do much, right? They made their move in September. That Getting Donovan Mitchell was their move. Um, you look beyond that, you know, Celtics have the best record in the league. I, I mean, they might try to make some small upgrades, maybe add a backup big, but I, I don't anticipate them doing something radical with their team, right? They just went to the finals. They have the best record in the league. I think they feel pretty good about where they're at. Um, so, you know, I'll set them off to the side. Then, uh, you know, Milwaukee, again, I, the Bucs have generally been aggressive at the trade deadline, They've made a move. I don't know if they've made a move every year the past years, but they've made a move a bunch of times. I will not be surprised if they make a move again this year. You know, there's been talks uh, about them being linked to Jay Crowder for a while. We'll see if something gets done there. Maybe they do something else. But, you know, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if they do something. And, and look, Daryl Morey's always aggressive. Uh, Philly's obviously had a great turnaround after a slow start. They, they look like a team that can really make a run in the East. I certainly won't be surprised if they try to do something between now and Thursday afternoon. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, I think you can make an argument that, that Boston, Milwaukee, and Philly are the three best teams in the league. So, you know, to me, obviously, I think all of them are going to look to try to get better over the next couple of days. But, you know, it's not a shock to me that they're not trying to radically overhaul their rosters when they're, you know, right now as good as anybody. And while upgrades are obviously a positive thing, you know, you've got to balance that with having a pretty good team and not wanting to mess up what you have. For sure. The, and the mess up what you have is, is an important component of this, too, as well as making sure whoever's going to come in is OK with the role they're going to come into, which isn't always, uh, you know, the role you were playing yep. before. Um, with respect to the Knicks, they are just out. They're in seventh in the Eastern Conference, half a game back of the heat for that spot that would avoid the play in. Now, we've heard the Knicks or we've heard leaks that people believe to be the Knicks about three first round picks. It's the new HBAP Humphreys Brooks and a pick from the, uh, the old <laughs> New Jersey Nets days. It's That's a very uh, old throwback play. It, it, the beginning of my career. We're I'm, going way back. I'm old man. I'm, I'm right there with you, but the Knicks <laughs> do have three extra first round picks this year. They're uh, top 10 protected lottery protected, top 18 protected. So they're not the spiciest of picks, uh, but that's still a lot of pick equity. Well, one of those picks, Blake, one of those picks, Blake, if I'm not mistaken, is the, uh, is the, well, no, actually, never mind. I was going to say one of them was from 
Charlotte, which they're not going to get. But I, I think that top 18 pick is either a Detroit or a Washington pick, which they're they're likely not going to get, too, yeah. I would suspect. Yeah, the Detroit is top 18, Washington's lotto, Dallas is top 10. Now they roll That's over right. and then they don't That's become right. seconds until, you know, 2025, 2026, 2027. Um, so there's still assets. But um, do you get the yes. sense that the Knicks are like shopping those three picks or some combination of picks um, for upgrades here? Like the Knicks are... I don't know. They look a, a little not quite there yet in the contention window, but they're also the Knicks. They're always working on an expedited timeline. Are they hungry to do something here? I will be curious to see what happens with the Knicks, uh, Blake, because they, you know, I, I do think they are interested in trying to um, upgrade their roster. I also think they're interested in trying to upgrade their asset pool, right? I mean, you saw last year in the draft, they essentially turned the 11th pick in the draft into three future picks, right? And the thought process from them pretty clearly was we want to be in a position where we can have as many assets as possible so when the next big star player is traded, we could go after them, right? So I think, to me, uh, you know, we'll see what the Knicks decide to end up doing. Um, I'll be surprised if they trade a bunch of draft picks right now for a player. I, I think they're going to be trying to you know, maybe retool the roster a little bit is like you mentioned, they're, they're in, in position to potentially get into a top six spot in the East. I'm sure they'd love to get that. Um, but I think when you, if you go back to that deal, they made at the draft with, you know, those two deals they made at the draft to get all those draft picks for the future. Uh, I suspect they're going to be trying to do some combination of short-term improvements to, you know, try to get in that top six now and improve the roster a little bit while also trying to make sure they have a, as deep of a a long-term asset pool as they can so they can go out and and acquire a star if one becomes available sometime in the, you know, in the next year or so. Uh, What about the team that your, your colleague was tweeting and writing about today? (laughs) And the, the one that's uh, been the most interesting over the last couple of days, the Brooklyn Nets who trade away Kyrie Irving and they get some, some nice pieces back, uh, not superstar caliber, at least offensively like Kyrie was and things apparently for the time being are all good with Kevin Durant that they're going to forge ahead and not look to move him before Thursday. We also saw reports, Tim, before the Kyrie trade was finalized yesterday that maybe the Raptors were going to be brought in as a a third team involved in that deal in some way. How much work do you think is still left to be done for the Nets? Oh, I mean, I I expect they're probably going to be pretty active between now and the deadline, right? I mean, they've made it clear they're trying to continue to upgrade that roster around Kevin Durant. You know, Adrian reported today that there's still conversation with him about upgrading the roster and ways to move forward. And, and I expect they're going to be trying to do a lot. Um, you know, they clearly made that deal when they did on Sunday, uh, as we've reported, so they can try to go out and make more moves to improve. And, you know, certainly the, the trade they made, while, while, as you put it, it, they didn't get a superstar talent back. They did get guys that I think fit, you know, roles that they need around Kevin Durant. And I suspect whatever the Nets do over the next couple of days, it'll be geared toward trying to find ways to, um, to upgrade that roster, uh, you know, around him and to try to put, put themselves in the best position to be competitive, um, you know, with him over the next few months. And, and then we'll see what happens from there. We know that uh, Kevin Durant, uh, according to Woj, had uh, at least a little bit of interest in a potential Phoenix Suns outcome this past summer when he had requested a trade. Um, one of the interesting wrinkles to me from the Kyrie Irving thing is, well, 
what if teams around the league want to hang on to some assets because they think KD might not be available this week, but he might be available in the offseason. And the team that now comes to the forefront of that thought is the Phoenix Suns because Matt Ishbia uh, was approved today as an owner. He's taken over. It sounds like he'll be aggressive um, outside of maybe the Raptors because of the direction and the impact it'll have on the rest of the market. Would you put the Suns kind of right there as one of the more intriguing teams to watch these next two days? Yeah, I mean, look, whenever you see a new owner take over, Blake, they're, they're, they tend to be aggressive, right? I mean, that's sort of a characteristic of guys when they take over teams is they're aggressive in trying to make moves. And certainly it's an interesting situation to have an owner come in two days before the trade deadline, right? I mean, we've all, I don't know if we've ever had a situation where a guy has taken over a roster so close to the deadline. So I, I think when you, um, you know, when you look at, that situation, um, you know, I, I certainly think it's interesting, and I'll be very curious to see, um, you know, what 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 that looks like for the Suns and what it looks like for the league. Because, yeah, I am I am very curious to see, you know, what we. I mean, we really, you know, we don't really know what Matt Ishbia, the owner, is going to be. Right? It's sort of a whenever one of these, you know, whenever a team is bought in, in, in a situation like this, you just don't really know what the new guy is going to want to do. So, yeah, I think it will be interesting to see um, what the outcome is. And, uh, you know, I'll be very, I'll be very, very curious, um, you know, to see what he decides to do. But, yeah, certainly I think Phoenix is a team to watch over the next couple of days and see what it is they uh, see what it is they, they feel like doing between now and the deadline. Yeah, uh, it should be a crazy couple of days, um, I think. <laughs> Tim, uh, appreciate the time. Thanks for this. Of course, man. Good luck, guys. Talk to you soon. So, yeah, there's Tim Bontemps, ESPN NBA writer. I, I say that, and, and the way I put it that way, like, I think, because he raised the specter of the Raptors doing the thing that they did even in the Tampa Tank year where it's like we're all expecting this explosion of this flurry of activity and the Raptors sending their franchise player in Kyle Lowry out the door. How could they possibly hold on to a guy who obviously doesn't fit into the, the timeline long term and he waves his goodbyes and then the deadline passed and he remained a Toronto Raptor and then we know what happened. It was a sign and trade and, you know, ended up doing pretty well on that thing. Um but, like, does the possibility exist? I mean, yes, a possibility exists. Like, would you put it at better than, like, 10% that the Raptors go through Thursday's NBA trade deadline 3 o'clock in the position that they're at in the standings with two pending free agents and do nothing, Blake? I would be, I don't know about percentage likelihood it happens. I'll tell you, I would be 100% annoyed <laughs> if, it, if it happens. Uh, I don't think that, like, I think that's just about the only path that, I couldn't sit here and on Friday give you the justification um, for why they, they chose to do that. Like I, I could justify for you and I don't mean this as in a, I'm going to carry water away. I mean it as in like, look, Tim just told us we, we had Howard back on last week and he told us um, that people around the league are very curious about what the Raptors are going to do because there's not a, clear right or wrong answer like you could make the case to do a couple of different things here i think the only thing you can't justify is a just kind of nothing sit still exactly like you sitting on the sidelines you could justify retooling a little bit for next year you could justify retooling for way down the line you could justify um you know kind of rolling gary trent into a slightly longer contract uh, and picking up an asset 
in the mix that you can then turn around and use next summer. Like you could, and, and there are some of those paths where Thursday would be underwhelming, but it sets up your off season in a way that makes sense. What doesn't is sitting there doing nothing because how that sets up your off season is you have not a lot of leverage in negotiations with Fred and Gary and sign and trades can bring you back something, but the Orlando magic don't need a sign and trade to get Fred Van Vliet. There'll be teams like maybe Gary Trent wants to go to a winning team and a sign and trade presents itself, but you don't get, a ton of return for those things. And you certainly don't get guys who can replace those guys in the rotation and you don't have cap space. So you're looking you're at running it back next you're, year. You're running it back with another mid-level exception. And yeah, possibly a top 10 pick, okay. which is not nothing, but yeah. And that's why I don't think the sit still is very justifiable because you are betting an awful lot on this year being more of an anomaly negatively than last year was an anomaly positively Mm. and i just don't think that a third like hey we need to see a third year split the difference like we're we're one one we need the rubber match of if this thing works together like a a, like a a upper play-in team like i don't know because what they ended up with a a six seed yeah yeah. (laughs) so like if they do nothing on thursday and we'll be on the air at the time that, again, extended hours on, on Thursday, we're going four to seven after Will Lou's show yeah. goes two to four. Um, somewhere in there, Masai or Bobby Webster will speak. Mm-hmm. And I would hope if they sit still, the questions at that press conference, and again, I won't be able to be there because I'll be here on air, are about, okay, well, what's the plan to mm-hmm. help this group get better? Because run it back, but as a tax team with one extra pick and another mid-level exception is not a path that has been super successful for incremental improvement or anything more than incremental improvement. They're going to do something. Cause yes. here's the thing. Like they might even do something that appears almost like buying, right? Like, I mean, this is a bad example because Jakob Pertle is real, like valuable asset. Everybody wants a Jakob Pertle, but if they do their, their off season shopping for a center, yes. Before Thursday, if, if they do their offseason shopping, like in general, if you're picking up someone with bird rights that you intend to resign because you don't have cap space, that not only makes some sense, it also gives you a little bit more leverage come Gary Trent or Fred Van Vliet time because you do have a walkaway point that you're comfortable with because you have someone else that you can resign. Now, the other thing is, even if, let's say, and I don't think this is likely, but let's say none of Pascal, Fred, Gary, OG, go anywhere and uh, scotty's not going anywhere and i don't think precious would go anywhere uh that still leaves like a whole roster of guys mm. like still it would be very underwhelming it would be <laughs> underwhelming i'm just saying the odds of them doing nothing are pretty slim like there are be something I, like i i really like chris boucher there are like 15 teams in the playoff picture right now that could use chris boucher as an energy big um maybe someone wants to take a flyer on what malachi flynn could look like in a new situation um the joke that i made on twitter the other day that somehow people don't get uh, even though it wasn't very long ago. I was like, yeah, maybe you could trade that young in your second for yeah, I, got, I got it. I yeah. saw that. That was funny. I yeah. really enjoyed that. You know that. how many serious replies oh, I got God. to that? Too many. <laughs> Too many. Anyway, they'll be doing stuff. Yeah. Imagine like an awesome center presented itself in the draft between those two picks, you know, early Although second. That also assumes that first. they would pick Walker Kessler over Christian right. Coloco, right? Have we and not done is, this conversation? I'm not sure, but I don't think that that is a slam dunk. <laughs> do you, do you like start there's for- a reason a lot of teams yeah. pass on Walker Kessler. Do you start forgetting like where you've had certain conversations because you're yeah, doing so I, much NBA? Com- yeah, like- I feel very repetitive right now. 
You're wow. not, man. It's, 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 this is fresh new stuff. Like Matt Ishbia. We haven't talked about Matt Ishbia. Yeah. Raise the specter. That's an interesting one. But like, here's the the weird thing about the Walker Kessler thing is not only did like you're not like done with Chris, Walker Kessler. Christian Coloco was a Pac-12 rotation player. Like he mm-hmm. was not some unknown. Yeah. He was a borderline first round guy. Um, it's not like 32 or 33 was all that early for him. It was in was in with was within his range. Mm-hmm. Um, he checks some Raptors boxes in terms of what they look for in developmental pieces. And Walker Kessler is a guy that, yeah, I mean, he's been unbelievable and he was really, really good with Auburn last year. But there have been doubters enough that the year before that at UNC, he played eight minutes a game. He mm-hmm. was like their fourth string center. Mm-hmm. Like there are, there are teams in several levels of play now and in the draft that have doubted whether his particular style of defense could translate. Uh, everyone looks dumb. Mm-hmm. It obviously translates. Yeah. Uh, he's been terrific. And I'm sure that there's, there's also an element of he's put a ton of work in to improve those those weaknesses or perceived shortcomings too. So uh, anyway. And Thad Young is a great player. He's been a real, he's been everything you expected him to be. He's He's good. And the funny thing about Thad Young on this year's team versus Thad Young on last year's team is what, what has been my talking point the entire time about Thad Young? He is a guy who won't make a bad team better, but uh-huh. he will make a good team better because he is this kind of dot connector that makes mm. things easier for really good players. And yeah, he's a good guy to have around as a leader for young guys. But the most value that Thad Young could provide right now is, hey, here's a good team, 15 minutes a game. Thad Young's out there and he's so smart and sees plays ahead of time that he will just make things easier for your guys. It's like it's like a shorter Mark Gasol kind of thing where just like, yeah, things flow easier when you have a guy with that much experience and playmaking ability on the floor. For a bad team it doesn't that can't score on the half court, doesn't do a whole lot for you. Listen, I'd give up plenty for Thad Young if I was a winning team before Thursday. And yeah, he's going to be on the move, I think. <laughs> I feel pretty confident in saying that Thad Young yeah, will be out the door. The one thing that could, like if you're looking at any of the salary sheets or trade machines or whatever, and you see that he has another year left, uh, very little of that is guaranteed, only $1 million. Mm. So I don't think teams would balk at it. You know, had Otto Porter been healthy, he's another name we would throw in there because he's got a player option next year at $6.3 million. Teams would be maybe a little more worried about that. The Thad Young thing is is effectively... Nothing. So uh, who has a late 20s pick? Uh, Clippers right now would pick uh, 22nd. They want to they trade for Thad Young and a, and a high second for a late first? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I guess. Fine. It would be very funny if the Raptors did some version <laughs> and then of that got, again. Yeah, and then got an even better pa- Walker Kessler. Passed on Walker Kessler. <laughs> uh, passed on Duke center Derek Lively the second okay. uh, to go He's for... Projected. I don't know, Noah Clowney or something like that. I'm just picking big man names out of the draft. (laughs) Anyways, no thought to that. Okay, um, when we come back, we'll we'll talk to Andrew Brandt, host of the Business of Sports podcast, former Packers executive. We'll we'll, we'll talk about Aaron Rodgers a little bit and plenty more with him. Also, maybe get to this Mark Shapiro one-on-one from the Toronto Sun, as well as uh, World Baseball Classic rosters. Apparently, it's supposed to be announced like any 28 minutes ago. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't seen it. I I keep refreshing Twitter. I don't see it. Anyways, Plenty more coming up as the fan drive time continues. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 5.9 The Fan. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy. Blue Jays pitchers and catchers next week. And then uh, World Baseball Classic in March. Apparently the rosters were due at 6 o'clock today. Uh, Team Canada is going to be an underdog to, to get through the group <laughs> stage, which they have yet to do in uh, the brief history of that tournament. Uh, also, Blue Jays president Mark Shapiro did a one-on-one uh, with Rob Longley, our pal of the uh, Toronto Sun. There's a couple of interesting... I've never met Rob. He's not my pal. He's my pal. Sorry. I meant pal of the show. Yes. But like, never, you can, you can or... opt in to I've being never... pals with Rob Longley. Not until I have him on as a guest with you. I've n- I've never spoken to Rob Longley before. Okay. Of all the games I've been I don't think I've ever really? run into him either. Yeah, Dude, I only met him in person for the first time this past year. Oh. I've talked to him plenty no, on it, the radio before. It was odd. Every Almost every Jays game that I went to, when I like if I went into the media room or the clubhouse or whatever, um, they were games that Mike Ganter was, was filling in on the side. Hmm. Um, I guess Longley does a lot of time on the road, so he probably takes some home time off. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Good piece. No, absolutely. It's a, it's a great piece. Um, there's lots to <laughs> to break down from it. Uh, to me, the, the most interesting part was talking about how this 2023 Blue Jays roster differs from the 2022 one, which it obviously does in some pretty notable areas. But the most notable one, and you can tell that Rob is like trying to get to the the bottom of exactly how much of the moving off of Teoscar Hernandez and the Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Uh, trades were motivated by, you know, just getting better baseball players, which they clearly did in the Lourdes Gurriel Jr. trade. Like, I, they did real well. They gave up a, a real key prospect. But just factually, uh, Dalton Varsho does a lot more for this baseball team than Lourdes Gurriel Jr. was doing. The the argument happens with the Teoscar Hernandez one, which at the time we talked about the the savings and and maybe that being a part of it and going after a free agent target and we like got to see subsequent moves. Yeah, maybe it's Teoscar for Eric Swanson, Adam Mako, and the financial flexibility to add Brandon Belt and the Chad Green flyer. Like maybe you want to frame it like that, but exclusively on what happened in that trade, it's a negative, right? Like, uh, a mid late inning reliever and the number 14 prospect in your system. Now per Keith law, the athletic Adam Mako, that's not worth Teoscar Hernandez. No, it's not. And nobody would make the argument that it is. And yeah, money is worth something. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not breaking new, new ground there. Money is worth something. And, and even for a team that even a team that is in the luxury tax, like yeah, being deeper into the luxury tax, yeah, it all adds up and, and you're right. Maybe it allowed them to go out and, and make these periphery moves like the Brandon Belt, like the Chad Green thing. But secondarily, maybe there was the thing that we also discussed at the time, that there was a culture fit, that there was like a seriousness fit. That And I talked to John Schneider when Shai Davidi was filling in for you a number of weeks ago and we talked about how this team can get better going forward. And he talked about consistency well. Some of those questions were posed to Ross Atkins or to Mark Shapiro in this piece, and I'll I'll read off a couple of quotes. Um, Quote, Ross Atkins provided that balance of a group of experienced players, a group of guys who are solely focused on winning, along with an incredibly talented core of players who are still growing and still maturing into what they will ultimately be. Uh, Another quote, part of our strength as a team over the last few years, not just last year, was our ability to have fun. And that's extremely important. I think there is, though, a fine line between fun and joy. And I think our guys ex- uh, exuded that 
joy. So not saying that this team was having the fun that's not allowed. He did say that this team played with joy, which is good, but there's a clear point being made in that that there is a line where, yeah, you you go from playing with joy, which everyone should do, and maybe this team is at its best when it's playing with that, and like, hey, going over the rails and like not doing the little things, losing some consistency. You have to think that even if it was a small percentage of why they made the moves, shipping out Teoscar Hernandez and Lourdes Gurriel Jr., it's part of the equation. I think so, and I don't want to say that that is right or wrong. Um, I tend to think that especially over 162, you need that lightness, even if it costs you a run here and there. You don't, I, I just don't think it's realistic to have a, a room that is foot all the way down on the pedal the entire time. I think it can be it, it, that. That was, lead, that was the 2015 Blue Jays I know, in large and part. Can, and it can lead to situations where the second things don't go that well, it, it feels pretty combustible. And whether you, you want to pick a Danny Valencia from that or what, like they're there is a difficulty in managing that the same way there is a difficulty in managing uh, a room that's too aloof. I also think we have to be careful because there is a cultural component here that um, players like Teoscar Hernandez and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. And to a lesser extent, because he, he spent a lot of time here, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., that the game is played and celebrated uh, a different way in different parts of the world. And in an awesome you, way. Yeah. If you are like, I, I, was in Cuba in the winter and I did not get to go to a Cuban league game. The schedule just didn't line up and it was so disappointing. Um, but talking to people about what those games are like there or having friends who are, um, I have a Colombian friend who, who's done some games in Colombia and, and the Dominican and those games are treated like, you know, parties basically like it's closer to club league soccer than it is to the way we consume uh, major league baseball. And it's the same, you know, you, you run into that in the, in the KBO as well, that there's a lot of, you know, celebration of the game while you're playing. So I think you, we, we have to be a little bit careful of the cultural differences there because there are more than, there's more than one way to win at baseball and be good at baseball and, you know, take the mental approach to baseball. But yeah, I think that it's pretty clear that that is something that this front office believes needed to change, whether that's just, um, you know, with Teoscar, it got too too much on the side of well, there's an attention to detail that's missing. It. I don't think moment anybody to moment went. not not game to game. Yeah. Anyway, we maybe we don't uh, need to go into what you were about to go into there. Um, what? What? Nobody. Nobody's like arguing that this team is like celebrating too much or that. Oh, I, I think that has absolutely been argued over the last two years. Oh, okay. I like, mean, nobody, war, no smart people on the home run jacket and stuff like that. Oh, well. And it's like. Like, yeah, okay. And they did away with it at one point. Like, maybe you only do the home run jacket when you're winning or something. Like, <laughs> it's, I a, it's a very long season, and I don't have, like, obviously, you know, practice how you, or practice how you want to play and, and things like that. So the the attitudes and habits you have over 162 are going to be how, are they're going to reveal themselves in the playoffs. I just don't think that, you know, hey, these guys don't take, like, these guys are good enough to have gotten to the major leagues. And in the case of Teoscar, like, remade yourself from a, like, a almost failed prospect Dude. into an all-star level guy. Like, I don't think that level of joy or fun or whatever word you want to use has a material impact on your performance. Like, like, there are moments, but I don't think it has to do with fun and, you know, like... It's not like Tasker Hernandez is the only guy on the team that had a boneheaded play last year. Remain no, error. no, no, no. And and Vlad had one notable and was called out by the manager as well. Um, no, but I, I, 
would you agree that there's it, it, it it's weird putting labels and like saying fun or joy is is like a it's a negative like that you don't want to have that part of your baseball um game right what you're getting itself. at is there is a line between playing with joy and playing unseriously yes and and mark shapiro didn't say it explicitly but i think what he's what he's trying to say is that there's a there's an element of and it's even you mr numbers would agree that there's an element of getting the most out of your team that is not just adding up everybody's war not just adding up mm-hmm. what each player brings to the team on their baseball reference page and what you get out of it at the end of the year yeah. and, and i think alex anthopoulos in in hearing him discuss the way that things finally clicked for him as an executive after making a trade for a bunch of guys that on paper looked good in 2013 and figuring out, holy, well, I mean, Josh Johnson not having an arm was like part of it. And some of those guys were, were damaged goods to begin with. Um, but yeah, there's a human element. There it. is a human element. I just don't think we have a good handle with a. He's being, guessing. Yeah. I mean, you're guessing which direction it's going in, right? Like does, Hey, does that locker room element allow you to withstand a bad losing streak in a managerial change midseason, or did it lead to that? Like we can, that's a, a matter of perspective. It's not as if world series championship teams haven't had uh fun dudes mm-hmm. on them before. Anyway, I know, I know we got to get off this. Yeah. No, 2004 Red Sox team seemed to have a lot of fun. Uh, it doesn't sound like fun to be in a darkness retreat in a small <laughs> house for four days. That's what Aaron Rodgers is going to do. And then he's going to reveal himself and then, the smoke will uh, emerge from his head uh, I, a certain color, and that'll be the team that he plays on, I guess. I don't know. Andrew Bryant uh, joins us now, host of the Business of Sports podcast, former Packers executive. Thanks for doing this, Andrew. How's it going? Good, guys. Always good to be with you. Uh, so do you have a sense of, of where the Rodgers thing is going here? It, it really does feel like, I mean, every indication, every public comment we get from him, whether it's at Pebble Beach talking about how Raiders fans are trying to convince him to, to join the Raiders, that he's – it feels like he's mentally moved on from the Packers. Are you getting that sense? You know, it's a lot to unpack here. I don't know. I mean, listen, two years ago when he was – reports that he was really unhappy with the Packers and didn't want to be back, I said he'll be back. Last year, I said he'd be gone. So I'm, I'm one for two. Um, and this year it's tougher to read than ever. Only tough to read because it's got a $60 million commitment from the Packers, and they'll take a $40 million dead hit if they trade them. But if you had to ask me, I guess I guess the lean is that there'll be a separation. I've been saying that for a few weeks. And I think what people don't realize here, this is always about Aaron Rodgers, but I think this is about Jordan Love. I mean, we had Aaron in the bullpen when I was there with Brett Favre for three years. That's unheard of three years, but we did. Now Jordan Love has been in the bullpen for three years. Are they really going to say to Jordan Love, hey, we'll play you, but not till your fifth year? Like, I just don't think they're going to do that. I think they're ready to move on, and I think Aaron's ready to move on, but, you know, he's got to do some more contemplation, but they're soliciting trade offers and they've never done that openly before. So the contemplation is one side of this. And obviously Aaron Rodgers, despite not being a free agent is going to have some say in where he goes because the team wouldn't trade what it's going to take to get Aaron Rodgers uh, to get an unhappy Aaron Rodgers. And and Andrew, I'm going to kind of try to thread a few things together here because you had an Instagram post that I really enjoyed the other day in talking about Kyrie Irving actually, and how he was able to once again 
manufacture his exit from a situation he wasn't happy with. And you, um, I believe you were comparing it to Lamar Jackson and the Ravens where, um, you know, they're a hundred million dollars apart, but the way the CBA works with things like the franchise tag, Lamar Jackson doesn't have, you know, for being as cynical as possible, he doesn't really have much leverage there. Um, Aaron Rodgers may be a, a middle ground there because he's so far along and the Packers do have Jordan love, but, um, how, what do you make of, you know, just the, the way we can look at a Kyrie situation versus a Lamar Jackson situation and the way these kind of superstar contracts and superstar choices play out across different sports? Well, one of it's systematic. One of the that's a big part of it is systematic. The system in the NFL has this weapon for teams called the franchise tag. And it's not only a weapon when it's used, it's a weapon in negotiations. I used it. I never applied the franchise tag in my 10 years in Green Bay, but I used it in contract negotiations all the time as a, as a weapon, basically as a fallback. And there obviously is none of that in basketball. The other part of it is, is less systematic and more superstar-oriented. The, the basketball is really a league of superstars, and, and NFL has superstars, but they don't have leverage. You know, I just mentioned Aaron Rodgers, the best player in the league, tried to get out of the Packers two years ago, and he had no options. You know, Kyrie Irving tried to get out of the Nets, and a day later, he's gone. <laughs> like, a day later. So, and Ben Simmons did this, mm-hmm. and Kevin Durant did this, and Anthony Davis did this, and James Harden did this twice. It's like... I've said this before. I can't imagine being a general manager in the NBA because if I'm the general manager of the Bucks or the Sixers, I got to wake up every morning praying that Giannis or Joel Embiid didn't wake up on the wrong side of the bed and, and is unhappy. <laughs> because if they are, it's over. It's over. Yeah. It's over. Like, if you have that, if Jonas wakes up in Milwaukee and says, I've had enough, it's over. Mm. Their team is done. And just imagine living like that. Well, and we, we mentioned yesterday that the NBA um, postponed the, the deadline to, to opt out of the current CBA, uh, which expires at the conclusion of next NBA season. Like, is there a fix for this? I'm sure the owners, if they thought of one, would like to negotiate that into the next CBA? Like, is there is there a way to curb that in the NBA? If, if you were an owner, would there be something that you could figure out to raise that, that possibility of, of tamping that down? It's a great question. It's something I've asked my students to, to try to figure out for the next class. I mean, it's, it's an amazing question. How do you, because what the NBA has done in the past, as I think every, your listeners know, is they've given cap advantages to teams that sign their own players, meaning that their own players get more money. So if Anthony Davis stayed in New Orleans, I think the number was he could have made 50 or $60 million more than going somewhere else. Yet he, he wanted out. You know, if James Harden stayed in Houston, he could have made so much more money than going elsewhere. But they... That's not enough. Like, if you're not going to entice someone with money, what else is there? <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what else you can entice them with. 
And I don't think passing something like a franchise tag equivalent, whatever, like the union at this point, at least in the NBA, would just be like, no, that's a non-starter um, right. for us because it's too it's too anti-labor, it's too ownership friendly. So um, it's a tough one. It's interesting to to contrast uh, the two. One other thing on kind of player yeah. empowerment I had for you, and we only have you for for a minute left here, Andrew. Um, I know you tweeted something the other day uh, in response to Sean Payton basically saying Russell Wilson's uh, personal quarterback coach probably won't be around those rooms very much anymore. Uh, what do you make yeah. of of that decision? And just you know, is that more prevalent than than maybe I realize? You know, a quarterback coming into a situation with uh, parts of his own coaching staff feels very Friday Night Lights, a TV show to me. Yeah, it's always expectations coming in. And I think when they brought him in, it was like, hey, here's the world. You know, have your office, have your parking space, have your private people. And Sean Payton's put a tamp down on that. I think, you know, I don't blame Hackett, the former coach. He's a new coach. And Russell Wilson's a lot bigger star than he is. But now you got Sean Payton in there. He's got a much bigger brand than even Russell Wilson. So he's like, that's enough of that. But I get it. It's more of a problem every year because players go away for the off season and they come back with their trainer, their guru, their massage guy, whatever it may be. That's hard to tamp down sometimes. I know that, you know, LeBron's got a couple guys and Tom Brady had a couple guys. So that happens. Uh, Andrew, appreciate the time. Thanks for this. Thanks, guys. People are asking, you mentioned the Instagram. I do these reels, so it's Andrew Brandt 2 for people asking Andrew Brandt 2 at Instagram. Yeah, and they are spectacular reels. Thanks for this, Andrew. Thanks, guys. Andrew Brandt, host of the Business of Sports podcast, former Packers uh, Packers executive, available on uh, Instagram at Andrew Brandt 2. yeah, the, the the CBA thing and and trying to curb the the players asking like I don't there there is no obvious solution to it. I yeah the the idea that you can that bird rights exist was a provision to allow teams to exceed the salary cap to keep their own players, but no good if. A player has all the power to demand a trade anyway. And they've tra- they've changed more and more. It's not only the bird rights that you can go a longer deal and you can go higher annual raises. They have added things like um, designated player super maxes that mm-hmm. each team is only allowed to have uh, one or two, depending on which one we're talking about. And they're very difficult to trade, which is why uh, Ben Simmons trade frameworks are, are kind of complicated. Um, they have changed the rules around a sign-in trade where it used to be that say Fred Van Vliet was a max contract guy. Well, he would be very incentivized to stay with Toronto now because he could get the extra year and higher annual raises. Um, It used to be that you could get that still on your way out in a sign and trade. And they took that away so that now you just really can't get that. If you're going somewhere else, Um, they keep trying to do these things, but we live in the player empowerment era. So uh, this is uh no, not that the, the the players' union would go for this, but would something like, hey, you get traded whether you initiated the trade or not, and you're on a max deal, You there's a financial penalty to the player. Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> not because what, like what that shifts the incentives to, first of all, the, yeah, the union well, yeah. wouldn't say, say uh, yes uh, to it, um, but also you run into then, like you move the pressure points where – instead of requesting a trade, the move would be, I am going to make this situation yeah, so impossible for everyone that 
they'll have no choice but to trade. God, and it'll the, be very clear that I'm asking for a trade, but I just won't use those words. I, dude, I don't the, think the, that's uh, great. It was so many trade requests ago that we forget, like, the Jimmy Butler situation in Minnesota, uh, clowning uh, Andrew Wiggins and and the rest of the starters, Carl Anthony Towns, as, you know, as he, in uh, I guess, in a practice with the 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 bench players just the third was, strings it was the third stringers yeah. was destroying them but yeah no it's it's so true like even teams with the best intentions of holding strong like the rockets with with james harden eventually yeah you just capitulate so there's no solution is what you're saying uh by the way uh i know we have to do our uh final segment here there is there is just a boatload of guys sitting out or being unexpectedly questionable with mystery stuff tonight mm. so uh get ready for that tonight and then tomorrow night oh boy tomorrow night is phantom injury oh, yeah. night around the league lock yeah. in yeah be interesting to see what the raptors do against the spurs all right time now for last call brought to you by bet rivers it's a whole new game it is the thunder at the lakers tonight as lebron james trying to make history his lakers team six and a half point favorites the total for him is 32 and a half again 35 to tie 36 to pass kareem uh, overpaying minus 124 as uh, if you want to just go over the number 35 and a half plus 120 and that was last call and it was brought to you by bet rivers it's a whole new game so here's a quick last call for you yeah are we celebrating a new all-time scoring leader tomorrow in the nba i think we are i think he does it tonight uh, i think he does it in style with buzzer beater uh, what are the odds that you can actually stay awake for it and aren't asleep on the couch by the time it comes? Uh, eh. Low. See ya. <laughs>